welcome to the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast, the podcast that follows three integral recovery practitioners on the journey of waking up, growing up, cleaning up, and showing up. Join us and our trailblazing guests as we apply the principles of integral recovery, daily practice, and the aqua map to transcend limitations, accelerate growth, and heal ourselves and hopefully the world. And now here are John Dupuy, Dr. Bob Weathers, and I'm Doug Prater with the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast, episode 25, Habit Formation and Goal Setting. Recovery, discipline, and the way to mastery. Okay, well, good morning, good day, good evening, brothers and sisters all over the planet. We love you, and we're really happy to be back uh, here again. Uh, this is our producer and co-podcaster, uh, Douglas Prater and mm-hmm. Dr. Bob Weathers, mm-hmm. and I'm John Dupuy. And mm-hmm. uh, you know a little bit about us, and you know a lot about some of us, uh, as we've been sharing our stories and our paths, and at some point I will talk about my stuff, mm-hmm. but it'll either it'll be a haiku or a miniseries. I haven't quite figured out how we're going to work that. So... Um, Anyway, it's just great to be back, and, and a lot of you are starting to download this stuff, and we do have we have uh, people hooked up where they can get uh, uh, free tracks, and uh, I think we're going to set them up with Deep um, deep Delta. Mm-hmm. So anyway, there's a lot of cool things associated with this, and we want you to, we want this, this practice to inspire uh, your recovery, inspire your practice, inspire your work on yourself, let you know that you are worth it, and we're all in this together, and there ain't no perfect person I've ever met besides my mother. But that is another story. So um, uh, today we're going to talk about practice. Okay. And so in the elevator speech about, you know, what is integral recovery? Basically, it is the map, which hopefully in 25 episodes, we've unpacked somewhat. And that, that was the goal. But this thing is like, it's wild horses. Sometimes it goes in directions that we weren't expecting, but that's all good. And I, so we've unpacked that and unpacked that the four quadrants, the four basic dimensions uh, that have to be accounted for on every occasion, talking about a human being could be a hamster, an organization, whatever, but a human being um, in this case is your upper right is your physical body. Your upper left is your interior life. Your lower left is your relational life and your lower right is just your functional life with the rest of reality, everything mm-hmm. objective out there. And they all have to be accounted for. You have to have get your body healthy. You have to get your interior healthy. Work on your shadow. Work on your trauma. Work on your spiritual life. You have to have people uh, that can actually support you. And you, uh, in your in your lower left, you have to go back and and fix the messes that we've created. You know, with our dysfunctional behaviors. You know, all of us. You know, qualify for that. And then you have to have the right kind of support systems. You know, the place to practice and place to live and all all the stuff. Uh, you know, the, the, the tools you need to, to do what you have to do in the world. So that you have to account for that. Then we have the lines, which are all the separate intelligences that we've been identifying. My list is a lot longer than a lot of people's, but uh, uh, the four ones that we've identified that is essential to ongoing, stable, not just recovery, but stable growth as a human being and evolution to our highest and best selves and our own real actualization of all our potentials and our soul manifestation, but also our realization of what we are at the deepest levels. And those four lines are the body, the mind, and emotions slash shadow, which means traumas, uh, means old stories. It's this one, and it's a, it's a big one. All of them are big. And then, of course, the, the last one is the spiritual line, which is not talking about a dogmatic uh, acceptance of some kind of religious uh, credo, if you will, which you're completely invited to do. If that's where you are and you want to do, that's not bad. But what we're talking about more is a transformative contemplative practice. 
And um, after that, what do we have? We have stages of development. No, we have states, actually. And states are these things that come and go all the time. Uh, why is that super important in, in being a human being and, and for somebody in recovery? Because addiction is about the, the chasing of states, avoiding certain states of painfulness, loneliness, awkwardness, despair, dissociation, dislocation, disconnection, all of that stuff. And, and looking for states where we feel happy, warm, powerful, uh, peaceful, whatever those things that the drugs were and the alcohol were giving us, right? For a while until not so much. And uh, that's important. And also in the meditation, contemplative practice, you have to deal with all these different states that arise. And even when you're not meditating with mindfulness, I mean, emotions and states, you know, if your boss comes in and you know, says something nasty in the morning or, you know, your, your husband, wife, friend, your dog just, you know, r- crawls on the bed when sees you walk in the room. Those are all states that arise from that are hard. And after that, we have stages of development, super important in, uh, in recovery because, you know, before the other model was like sober, not sober, sober, not sober, which is kind of interesting, but it's limited. Right. And we find out there's stages in our recovery stages as we move into or evolve into our highest, best versions of ourselves. And on the other hand, there's devolutionary. When we, uh, when we continue in the progressive disease of addiction, we go down the spiral staircase into the, the dungeons of our own, you know, egocentric narcissism, craving monstrous behaviors and feelings. Okay. And then we have types at the end. And we talked about the Enneagram and brother Doug, I believe is a four, right? With a five wing, sometimes I think you have a six wing, but uh, maybe you flap back and forth. And Dr. Bob is a seven. And I, dear friends, am a counterphobic six. And so uh, it's really, really useful to know because it helps us to understand ourselves, our unconscious patterns, what we have to do to move into uh, the, uh, the direction of integration. It also helps us understand everybody else in our world, why the president behaves the way he does, for example, why your mother and dad, what you inherited from them. It's just very, very useful. Unconscious stuff becomes conscious. We become more aware. We can begin to understand ourselves more better, be more compassionate, forgive ourselves and forgive the whole world for not meeting up to our standards. Right. So that's, kind of, that's, a, that's the elevator. If it were like Ooh. 60 floors. Yeah. And, and today we want to hit the other part, which is practice. Okay. The integral recovery practice. We're calling uh, Doug and I are writing a book right now, not just for addicts, but for everyone, okay, that needs to do this work, and we're calling, in some of the places, we're calling it de-practice, or we're calling integral cross-training, because you have to hit all the essential things, and, 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 and it's hard to get started if you haven't done any of this stuff before, okay? So that's kind of what we want to talk about today, and I'll be quiet for a blessed period and let you guys uh, chime in on that. <laughs> John, you're so incredibly adept at doing what you just just did. That's the 60 floor elevator speech. Is that what it is? <laughs> the uh, slow elevator to the yeah, 60th. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Deeply impressed by your ability to condense all of that information uh, into something that's really useful. So um, I'm looking forward to today's conversation. Uh, I, I know the three of us have been aware that there's a lot of interest online through our uh, integral recovery uh, Facebook community to address exactly what we're talking about today, which is where the rubber meets the road. So I'm really looking forward to it and uh, uh, looking forward to engaging with both of you. Thanks, Bob. Yeah, and uh, we covered briefly in episode 22, and we'll probably say it quite a few more times, that um, 
the map is not the territory. So the map is an essential component of what we're doing here. And studying the map is psychoactive, but just knowing that information is not enough. You know, as a, as a, as a five with a four wing, I tend to get lost in that heady kind of studying and reading and thinking too much, but it's actually getting down and doing this work on a daily basis that has made all the difference in the world in my recovery and my life and my you know, continued growth. And I still have a heck of a lot of work to do, but um, it's, it's approaching that every day from a, a willingness to grow and getting, getting busy with the practices that continues to push me forward in the ways that I need and reveals what those ways are uh, the deeper I dive. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And, you know, and, and we talk about stages and, you know, spiral dynamics and different colors and different uh, uh, blessings and good stuff that each stage brings on some of the challenges that each stage has, which makes it necessary for further evolution to happen. You know, we're not, we, we haven't perfected the whole human game yet. Believe it or not. So, uh, uh, and one of the things is moving through green, which is, you know, the, the, the postmodern uh, environmentalism and human rights and, you know, everything that, that the progressive wing of, of the uh, Democratic Party, for example, stands for. And, but one of the problems with green is that they get very, uh, that the mind, the intellect gets really um, put down. Oh, you're in your head. You know, it's not good. It's such an intellectual trip and all this stuff. And I'm just want to let all you fives out there know when you get to integral, the mind is equally as important as everything else. And uh, you get to go, Oh, it's okay to be smart, but you just have to connect it with your heart. You know, it just can't be out of balance. That's when we dissociate. That's uh, you know, that's the problem. And in a non-dual sense, the map is the territory that is a koan for the day. You can figure it out on your own. So, yeah. So, so, but, but, to, to to have this map is so useful because we know what we have to work on, mm-hmm. you know, and most of us without the map, we just tend to work on what's kind of comes naturally to us. Mm-hmm. So we become, you know, really buff in the gym and, you know, really, or if that's our thing and we neglect the interiors or if we're, you know, interior or meditators, we do this, but we neglect our bodies and we neglect the intellect and we, you know, this, that. So to bring it all together and to have it in balance as much as possible and realize that we have, you know, things that we like more and things we like less, we probably have to focus and work harder on the things we like less to get them up to acceptable uh, levels. And uh, so, so the, the big question we wanted to talk about today, what does a, a practice look like and what qualities do we need to cultivate to make this more than just a head trip or a, a dandy good idea, what I should be doing, what others should be doing, right? So... I, I uh, uh, so just to dive in here for a second. I, I know we shared this in a previous podcast um, uh, where I, I uh, told you all that I that I uh, for some period of time would would actually mark in my daily calendar uh, those those practices you just named, John. I would just I just set it out and I would mark it off. Actually, I put it on Monday, and I'd go back to Monday's calendar and just put a little check for. Uh, each one of those dimensions that I had addressed during the week. And uh, I'm not doing that right now because sometimes that becomes itself. It feels like I need to have a break from that. <laughs> so I can tend towards perfectionism, et cetera. And that ends up kind of being self-defeating. Having said that, one of the values, and I know I talked about this before, but it's really up for me this week, you guys, is that it becomes very clear what I'm neglecting when I do that. And, and John, what you just said is what spurred it for me is that I've got certain things that I'm predisposed. They come easily for me, for example. So on a daily basis, there are certain things that, that it's, it's almost redundant to check them off because they're so automatic for me. 
And as I shared, uh, I think in a recent episode, that one of the things that it, it I, I don't, I've, I've not found in a sustained way uh, being able to, to hit all of those areas without something kind of suffering. And so it's just staying honest with myself. It's like, okay, Bob, you're neglecting the body. Let's let's get back to attending that. Bob, you're not uh, you're not uh, practicing meditation enough or whatever. Most recently, what I've been struck by. I mentioned the body because that's always needing attention, but also has been the dimension of creative process, which I think about in terms of cultivating soul. I, I actually uh, 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 I have a high value for that on the one hand, and on the other hand, tend to neglect that. And I, and I, in terms of creative process for me, that involves writing creatively, but more uh, to the point is creating music because that's such a powerful uh, expression for me. And I was struck by something, you guys. Last night, I went to a local studio. I set up my drums, and I just recorded uh, my drums for three hours. And and uh, actually, what it is, I just recorded the same piece over and over and over. It's a piece I composed on keyboards, and then I just drummed to it. Every possible permutation of drumming to that piece of music I laid down yesterday. But the thing I was struck by is that I had drummed earlier this week for, uh, I played a performance on Tuesday night where I performed for three hours. So I've performed, I've played drums for six hours this week. And I want to say this, as each one of you will have your version of it. It was so clear to me last night in the sixth hour that that's pretty doggone poised. I mean, the drumming is really, it's really on it right now to drum that much right. in one week. And whether it's working out, whether it's meditating, whatever it is, it's really the accumulation of that. And I'm really grateful right now because there's a lot of attention being given to that dimension, which I think of as soul or creativity. Uh, and sure as shooting, what is being neglected, what needs to be attended to is I need to get back to working out because I played drums last night. I didn't uh, exercise <laughs> in another way. And so it's just kind of constantly staying in this. For me, it's a very fluid kind of um, a mix or an interchange and I'm constantly yeah. kind of micro yeah. adjust. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. it sure does. Um, yeah, I'm constantly, you know, doing it, but, but like you're saying yeah. with the drumming, the more you practice, you know, the, the better it gets. The same thing yeah. with meditation, it yes. gets easier. Yes, it really it does. does, you know, and, and it becomes just, okay, I'm home. You know, what's going on today? I didn't want to meditate, which means, oh, and I knew I was kind of sad about some stuff. So I knew I had to just sit there and be right in the middle of it. And I did. And I finally, you know, it's like I got to the point where, you know, second person with God's like, God, I really, you know, I want to do this. I want to forgive. I just can't do it. So really, I really realize, and I want to be a good person and I want to do what I, I, I want to do. And you could just touch yeah. me with your magic thunderbolt or, you know, your magic wand or whatever that is, or, you know, the, the little pigeon that comes down as my native American teacher used to say mm -hmm. about the Holy spirit. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that would all be good. But in the meantime, you know, I just poured it out and there was just a grace and, and just putting it out there. And I realized that, you know, all my fears, all my foibles, my security issues, all my neurotic stuff, just laid it out there in the presence of, of the divine. And it was, uh, and it's it was, the consistency it of practice, John, that allows you to get to that yeah. place and yeah. continue to do it. And, and Bob too, it's the consistency of your drumming that allows you to do it. Um, yeah. Neurologically speaking, we learn and we solidify those memories through repetition and through sleep. Um, one of my mottos is that 10 minutes every day is better than two hours once a week. And yes. you know, the research True. has certainly bared that out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Bob, I really appreciated what you said, too, about starting to track things. I'm a person who can be 
very resistant to structures and having structures imposed on me. So one of the things that I learned, uh, John frequently says too, that uh, there is freedom in discipline. And I certainly have found that to be the case for myself. I had to get myself into that place of discipline by using a sort of tracking system. And while our practices due to the wide number of lines and our various personal interests and strengths and things that we have identified, it's is endless. There are the four key practices for integral recovery and integral growth and uh, the bettering of our lives and ourselves and our worlds that we have really identified the by the body, the mind, the spirit, and the shadow. And so by selecting practices from each of those four things and doing them on a daily basis, you know, I was able to build a program that I track and check those things off and make sure that I'm yes. doing something in each of those four categories every yeah. day. Yeah. Um, I'm a person too who likes to have a, a way to, to track it and, and notice that. So I use uh, an app, a web app called Habitica, which gamifies it. There are plenty of other uh, good web apps too um, and smartphone apps like Habit Bull. For example, there are other habit trackers. If you do a Google search, and I will list some in the episode resources great. for this great. episode. That's great. Um, but each day I get that reminder, and I need the nudge to yeah. go through. And there's there's a feeling of satisfaction when I get to go through and check those things off. It starts to rebuild some of the damaged self-esteem when I can look back and see this consistency of checked off habits that I've done. I can do these things and know that I am on the right track. Now, uh, to that end too, it takes willpower to do a lot of this stuff, especially in the beginning. You know, we're talking about playing drums for hours or exercising for hours, spending a long time in meditation, and these things are just kind of natural to us. We gravitate to them, but for me at least, it sure as hell wasn't that way in the beginning. It, uh, sure isn't. it took a lot to get started, and so having a structure, having a system to get me going that way made all the difference in the world. The thing is our, our brains like efficiency. Our brains tend towards efficiency and all these things take willpower. Um, if you have to think too much about what you're going to do and make all these choices, you start to drain that willpower and then you don't have what it takes to, to keep going and continue to do what you need to do. So you want to do everything you can to make it automatic. And that's where building the habits comes in. You use your willpower to make these things a habit until it becomes something that is natural and that you do every day as second nature. Um, right. And, and you, with mindfulness, I mean, you become aware that like, I really don't want to meditate today. And, mm -hmm. You know, I know I'm really avoiding something here, but you do it anyway. You know, it's like, oh, I don't go to this. It's like, I really don't want to go to the gym as you put your gym socks on and tie your tennis <laughs> shoes. And, and you're not just so not into it today. But, All right, let's keep going. <laughs> you know, that, that that's the discipline. You know, I have to tell you guys, I've, I've mentioned it before, I believe when I get up in the mornings, I don't think I'm ever in the mood to meditate when I get up in the mornings. If I am, it's a rare occasion. The exception proves, proves the rule. So I get up and I'm crusty. <laughs> I, I go in, I, I, it's very ritualized for me like i was thinking about you're talking about psychology calls it habit strength to so develop habit strength where it has its own momentum i i get up i uh i attend to myself i i get some tea i i, I warm up a muffin i go sit down at the same on the same couch at the same table 
and uh, begin the same process. I do it every morning, and it's usually 15 minutes into the process, John, thinking of you with the gym socks. It's usually 15 minutes into the process. Sometimes it's not until I'm done with it that I realize how valuable it was. But I, I just do it completely on automatic pilot because if I was left to consult my own kind of preferences, I continue sleeping or just do something else, gosh darn it. So I really, I really value what we're talking about in terms of just pure automatic reflexive action. <laughs> you know, and the brain entrainment stuff is really useful because if you did that without it, you know, you'd probably, you could just sit there and, yeah, yeah. you know, no, think about, you know, I who's going to be in the World Series, yeah, you know. Yeah. I strap on these earphones right here yeah. every morning with, with the, the brainwave entrainment. That's just part of the gig. That's part and, of what I do. And, and some, <laughs> at some point you start ding, you know, you start waking mm -hmm. up and it's like, yeah, oh, yeah, here yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah. And that's what happened at the end of my meditation. I did, I did, uh, my dog, Lucy, she's like really into schedules. So I have to get up, get the coffee, get rid, get her ready and get her in the car. And I drive about a mile and a half down this beautiful country road, kick her out. And then she runs for a mile. And then, you know, she comes then she drinks water. And then she never wants to get back in the truck. But there's still something left to sniff. Lucy, I got, I got you know, work to do. I throw her in the, the back seat. She drinks water, go home. I give her a cookie. And then I can take care of, oh, but, the, but I'm, I'm in training my brain. I'm listening to Doug's uh, warm-up track. While yeah. I and so yeah. the whole running Lucy thing takes about yeah. 25 minutes. So by That's the time awesome. I get back to the house, I'm ready, you know, yeah. to get in my place yeah. and yeah. get down to work. Yeah, I love your you warm up trick. Yeah, ahead, both of you guys are touching on something really important here, too, in habit formation, which is uh, the ritual element because mm. habits are formed in a series of cue followed by routine, and then we get the reward of that behavior. So when you follow this same process every day, when you listen to the warm-up track as you're making your coffee, um, as when, you, when you sit down at the same couch every day for your meditation and slip those headphones on, those things are cues for you yeah. that you're about to start this behavior, and it lets yeah. your body slide into that groove. You're no longer using your prefrontal cortex and your willpower. It's there in the basal ganglia now. You're just following the cues into the routine, and the mm -hmm. habit becomes automatic at that point. It's like Pavlov's Buddha. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, you know, on the on the dark side of the street, I've had so many students tell me, you know, uh, uh, who are addicts, uh, you know, the whole ritual thing, ritualized thing, whether it's the drink and the, you know, the, the ice cubes clinking and, you know, the scotch or whatever the deal is, or, you know, getting in your car and going to where your dealer lives and, the, and man, you already start the rush and then, you know, the spoon cooking it, you know, and filling the needle and, you know, the whole trip, uh, you know, just really kicks in and becomes this ritualized habitual and, you know, they start getting high even before they adjust the substance yes. because the brain chemistry is in yeah. anticipation of what's yeah. going on. So it's it's definitely powerful, John. I mean, what you just said, that's well, probably triggering for a lot of folks. And so when you yeah. start to notice these things, right, you, yes. yeah. you have to learn to interrupt that pattern because, like mm -hmm. you said, this definitely works for good or for ill. So you learn yeah. to interrupt that pattern and replace it with a new ritual. You start mm -hmm. to get into that space and you do something different. And in the beginning, this takes a lot to get it set up. But yeah. Yeah. the new rituals, you engage a slightly different behavior. The brainwave entrainment is absolutely fantastic. You slip on your headphones and you push play. You start to notice a craving coming up and you use your willpower to change that behavior of I'm going to put on my headphones, I'm going to push play. 15 minutes later, you're in a very different place. Yeah. Or yeah. maybe it's 
I'm going to slip on my shoes and step outside the front door. I'm going to go for a run and get my heart rate up. I'm going to do something different. And when you interrupt that chain of cue, routine, reward, that's how you change your behavior. Yeah. Yeah. I really agree with you. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Bob. I I have a thought here. I want to just toss it in and we can chew on it now or maybe later is that one of the things, I don't know if this applies to you guys, but one of the things for me is that much of my life has been uh, really disciplined. Uh, Years and years of study comes to mind. It just, just, I mean, utter discipline day after day. Um, uh, uh, And so that comes in some ways naturally to me, not in other ways, but one of the things that I'm aware of, it just happened yesterday morning for me, is that I'll allow myself the opportunity to go a different direction if, if kind of spirit invites that. Yesterday morning, I got up, same ritual, and instead of doing what I would typically do, I began writing, and I stayed writing. I wrote about five pages, and it's okay. related to the book I'm writing right now. It just felt like I'll allow myself that. I won't allow myself that habitually, because then it, then it distracts from what you're talking about, Doug, in terms of creating neural pathways. But at least for me, and I wanted to put this in there, part of this uh, kind of grit, part of this discipline is allowing myself flexibility on occasion to follow something else. And I think there's grace in that for me. I, I, I feel like I need that as part of the practice. I, I'm, I'm by nature very disciplined. So to allow myself some indiscipline actually becomes part of the overarching discipline. Does that make any sense, you guys? Yeah, yeah. And the yeah, muse yeah. the muse starts yeah. coming through and you better write, you know, you better. Yeah, that's it. That, you know? That's it. That's um, it, John. That's exactly it, John. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's right. You know, and you talked about grit and, and I'm always talking about uh, Dr. Angela Duckworth. I think she wrote mm-hmm. the book yeah. Grit or Grittiness. I forget mm-hmm. the name of the title. But, mm-hmm. you know, she, she was a school teacher before she became a psychologist. And she said in middle school, I think she was teaching, maybe younger kids. Since so she noticed the kids, it wasn't the smartest kids that would do the best. It was some kids that really worked at it and had that just that mm-hmm. determination. And she just started looking at that. And then when she got into school, she did her whole dissertation on this and studied, you know, what what is the key, um, you know, ingredient to excellence and this, that, and the other. And it was it just grit, you know, and, and the, the the way grit is defined is the 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 heroic stick to itiveness mm-hmm. of of working on something for long-term results, you know, which is kind of turning addiction on its head because addiction is always about now, you know, mm-hmm. but you learn to start on that path of just grit, just doing it. Mm-hmm. It's what I do. You know, my, what keeps me in the game, it's like I teach about it and write about it all the time. So if I'm yakking about it and coaching others and I'm doing, not doing myself, it's just like the, the, the hypocrisy of that is too painful on my sensitive little soul to, to deal and handle. So that's, that's, you know, that's how I kind of hook myself into the, you know, into the uh, just sticking with it. You know? And there are definitely days when you don't want to do it, but you, you do it anyway. And exactly. some days are going to be better than others. And you have to learn to kind of roll with those punches too, and know that you're not always going to have your best workout. Your fingers aren't always going to work the way you want them to on the guitar neck, but you recover from those setbacks um, with a vow to yourself that you're going to continue to do your best tomorrow because you have the passion to stick with it and have developed the integrity to continually realign and return to the goals that you have set for yourself and your life and allow those to evolve as well as you continue to move forward with the very best effort you can muster every day.
I like something that you talked about last week or one of our previous uh, podcasts, and you made reference today to it, Doug, in terms of gamification, of gamifying this. And I want to respond to John uh, uh, with uh, an observation and also kind of a question. Uh, I am committed to long-term goals for sure, and I know that uh, both of you are. I've also found for me that if I can break it up into small little reinforcements uh, I may be more needful of this than the next person. I don't know. I just need to get something out of it. And sometimes it's just a matter of focusing my attention on what I did get out of it. It may not be, uh, in fact, it rarely is fireworks. I don't think my, my meditations typically are not like the heavens open and a light shone down and what do you call it? A pigeon? A, pi- a, pi- a, pi- a pigeon? A, a, a holy pigeon. Yeah. A holy pigeon. A holy pigeon. Uh, that, that, that rarely, if ever, happens for me. But there are miniature versions of that, that if I pay attention to them are really worthwhile. I've been this way ever since I was a little boy. I couldn't stand doing mundane chores without breaking it into something that was pleasurable to me. Uh, And uh, it was just really survival. It was just like, in order to do this for the rest of my life, I better find some way to find it intrinsically meaningful. So it's almost like finding an end in and of itself in this morning's meditation Mm -hmm. or last night's drumming. Uh, does that make sense to you guys? Just to absolutely. Somewhere and you're, you're also describing what a, a type seven, how they have to, the, what they have to do to implement <laughs> practice. It's totally not a six thing. A it's like uh, I, I understand, Bob, but no, it ain't me, babe. You know. So uh, we all have our ways, and again, that's why typologies yeah. are, are are so yeah. interesting. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've been uh, seven. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely accurate. It may be different for us in terms of typology. You know, in parenting, parents have come to me over the years, and they want to they want to get little Johnny or Susie to get an A on their report card rather than a D. And besides uh, bribing, bribing the teacher, right? Besides bribing the teacher and, <laughs> uh, or, or any other behavior around the house. And I've always talked about this. This is probably a seven. This is here. I'm outing myself is that I've, I've talked the same thing is that you need to break it down into small doable little steps for little Johnny or Susie An a, you know, like going to Disneyland at the end of the semester, because they got an A will not be enough to get them through. They're going to have to have it broken down into smaller things. Take them to Disneyland for sure if you want to do that, but give them miniature Disneylands along the way. So the same idea applied to parenting, I think, is what I'm talking about. I guess I'm parenting myself with this practice. You should have a lemon cookie next to your uh, your meditation spot. You get a lemon cookie. John, how'd you know that? You know that? <laughs> the, the lemon cookie uh, path to enlightenment. <laughs> Lucy expects her cookies. That's a, I'm into that one. We get back. It's like, okay, where's my cookie? Yeah, <laughs> sometimes she won't eat it, but she expects it, and she'll put it down. And I find cookies, and she eats some items. It's a funny story. I got myself through my first novel by motivating myself to sit down at the computer with chocolate-covered espresso beans that I was only allowed to have once I started writing. Yeah, that's it right there. That's it right there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my wife told me when she was in her early 20s or mid, I don't know, she went to her first Zen retreat Mm -hmm. and she had M&Ms up to the sleeve of her. Like Zen thing. (laughs) (laughs) Since we're we're talking about true confessions, I made my way through six years of graduate school doing this, you guys, and I, I readily acknowledge the obsessive compulsive quality of it, which is why I had to lighten up. But I created a calendar starting my first year in graduate school, a calendar of every day of the week. And uh, if I wasn't working, I worked 20 hours a week in a, a treatment setting. I was studying. I was either in class or I was studying. The way I broke it up is that I studied uh, 45 minutes of every hour. 
And, uh, and then for the other 15 minutes, most of that I spent playing piano. I would just, I would, I would, I learned to play the piano and I would just play piano. It became, it became my espresso beans, Doug, or my M&Ms, Pamela. And I just did that. And I found myself being able to study that way for years of just creating some reinforcement. The big one for me was piano. It, then at some point it turned into push-ups and sit-ups. You know how it goes. Mm-hmm. Just various ways to break it up. I could study forever that way. And if I had to study for three or four hours running, most of my peers did that, I couldn't make it through one day. I had to break it up and reinforce myself with something I really liked. <laughs> Bob, I think there's a lot of value to that. Um, if anyone listening to this has looked through the literature, the accompanying material for stealing flow. I go into great detail about the uh, Pomodoro technique and it's the same idea. You know, you work for a focused block and you take a little break and that's really important in sustaining that effort and keeping you motivated. I love that. I wasn't aware of that method at all until I read your material for the student flow. I, I shared with you that how much I appreciated what you wrote there. That that really cut close to home. Really, that really identified with that. That worked for me for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, and you're listening and, and Doug, the, the tracks you did are like cut down to 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of them, some of them are, you know, there's a couple that are long, the stealing flow ones, but most of them are 25 minutes. So you can, you know, use that and it's over. And, you know, you could dial it down to, you know, really low level, you know, or higher level, whatever's comfortable. It still works, you know, mm-hmm. and then bam, then you have your five minutes to go, you know, do your thing and then come back. And then you're excited about if you're in the flow, what you know, what you've done yeah. before and you're ready to get back and experience that creative, mm-hmm. uh, either a receptive thing, if you're reading, studying or something like that, or the, you know, the, the, the creative thing that you're giving out and creating and writing or doing something. Yeah. So I mean that could be with painting or sculpting or you know any any uh, any creative process. If you can break it up the way we're talking about with the Pomodoro technique or some variant of that, it reminds me of of uh, above my desk starting in graduate school. I had this little three by five card. I might have mentioned to you all before, and it was a quote from William James, the uh, kind of the first American psychologist, and. Uh, he said something to this effect. He said, if you do what we're talking about, if you if you take any endeavor, and he was talking about studying, but and I, that's why I had it hanging up there. If you take any endeavor like that and begin that and do that daily, uh, within a few years, he says, you'll look around and you'll realize that you've risen to the top. There won't be anybody else. It, whatever the discipline is, whether it's meditation, working out, studying psychology in my case, studying guitar in your guys' case, whatever it is, that served to really inspire me because I thought, how the sandhill am I going to make it through all these years? And I have professors that seem so incredibly bright. How will I ever catch up with that? And you just start pecking away with grit. And that quote really inspired me that way. That is the experience, except for me, I couldn't wait for six years to be at that end point that William James was talking about, I had to break it up into these little bits that we're talking about with for yeah. me playing piano and so on. But sure enough, at some point you wake up one day and you go, holy cow, look at all this progress. How'd that happen? <laughs> you know, and I, I did a, I did an interview for, uh, uh, I don't know, something recovery summit that's coming up that we're going to do on Amplifield. And um, I was interviewed by these two wonderful, beautiful women. And then they, then they, they wrote it up and everything. And my quote they, they quoted me from the talk was, if you do the work, you'll get better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not really eloquent or everything, but boy, is it really to the point, you know? It's like, oh, yeah. 
And and sometimes <laughs> the smarter we get, you know, we used to have a kind of jokingly, not so joking thing and in, in treatment, we were working with people, you know, there's nothing worse than a smart addict, you know, because you can rationalize yeah. anything, yeah. you know, but if you, that's basically it. If you just do the work and there's a story about St. Francis, one of my spiritual heroes, he was uh, once you, you know, I mean, they recognized him as a saint in his lifetime, you know, what occurs. But anyway, so people are coming all over and this very simple guy. Uh, came to follow Francis and he was accepted in the order and they were just living under the trees and little, you know, stick shacks and everything like that. They didn't have big monasteries. It was very, very, very simple. And this little guy would, Francis would sneeze. He'd go, Achoo. the little guy go, Achoo. or Francis would scratch. The guy would scratch. And he was just like, Francis like getting really irritated. You know, it's like every time he did anything, this guy would sit like him. It was just this mirror. And finally, you know, he's getting really grumpy about it. And finally he just realized, you know, what, you know, what, what a beautiful, perfect, simple faith, you know, this young brother has, and he was just doing his best. He'd come to learn from Francis. So he was imitating Francis and all things. So there's a, there's a kind of a, a blessed innocence and, and, uh, um, simpleness that will get a lot done. And otherwise, for us smart neurotic types who can rationalize our way out of anything or into anything, mm. we need to be aware of that and channel all that stuff to uh, mm. you know, just to get the job done. If you do the work, you'll get better. If you don't, you won't. You know. I like your talking about this, uh, uh, John. I, I, I was thinking about after our last podcast with you sharing your story, Doug, is that when you share your story, or John, when you share your practice, your daily ritual with Lucy and so on, I feel like that it provides examples that others can imitate. I certainly imitate both of you. Doug, your process was so illuminating to me in our last podcast. And it's like, I take that inside and I want to be, I want to follow what you suggested in terms of how do we transform our lives. So I think that imitation is, is an incredible boon to this practice. And the same thing in playing guitar, your drumming. I'm sure you just like ripped off all the drummers that influenced you and you loved and all this stuff. I do that with guitarists, you know, Steve Ray Vaughan, Eric Clapton, Jimi Hendrix, Peter Green, uh, Santana. I mean, all of these guys, you just keep ripping them off and ripping them off. And then you keep channeling it through your soul and through your nervous system and everything. And it becomes your own your own thing. You know, then you got like, what is good playing? It's, you know, can I do all this really gaudy stuff? Well, at this point, yes, I can. But is that really good playing? Then I listen to a few simple licks for Peter Green, for example, and it just like moves the hell out of me and the yeah. depth and the simplicity yeah. and the gorgeousness yeah. of it, you know? So it's really fun. And oh, and by the way, the more you practice, the more it becomes self-reinforcing, okay? Mm-hmm. Just like, you know, when you get really good at a guitar, you know, just one little new thing can reconstellate everything. You know, you learn one thing in, in a drum thing and it, wow, all my playing has changed. And it may not be significant to anybody else, but I can really feel it coming through me. It's added. So the more you do it, the more fun it gets and the more rewarding it gets. So you just have to really use whatever structures, discipline, grittiness, cultivate, coaching, support groups, uh, workout partners, meditation partners, people that hold you accountable, calling, holding yourself accountable, using the websites, gamification thing, whatever it takes you get you into the game where it just becomes this constantly deepening, bettering, uh, waking up, cleaning up, showing up, uh, growing up. This whole process just becomes what we do. John, that's really important what you said too about um imitating the masters and and looking to those people for inspiration. It's a case of standing on the shoulders of giants. There are people who have done all of these things, whether it's 
music, whether it is uh, the cultivation of habits, whether it is people who are incredibly fit or incredibly spiritual or incredibly emotionally healthy, whatever it is that we're looking for, there are people who have blazed the trail and done the work. And while we will certainly develop our own nuances and style along the way, we don't need to reinvent this wheel every time. We can look at what they have learned and, and the wisdom that they are imparting to us and follow that lead. Uh, Bob, as you, as you touched on too, it's so important. And that's why we continue to study these things. And that's, I think, where mind practice comes in as part of this. This is why we read the great books. This is why we learn from the great teachers to develop our minds and study where we need to go. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and it's kind of pioneering at this. There's not that many people on the planet have really adopted this whole kind of uh, cross uh, integral cross-training approach, you know, identifying the essential things that need to be worked on ongoing for the rest of your life, right? Body, mind, emotions, shadow, and spirit, and and really sticking down there. But as we do that, it's going to be easier for those who come after us. You know, there's that yeah. feel that's created. And, and, you know, when the first four-minute mile was broken, you know, that was the impossible goal. And after that, everybody in high school, they break it now regularly. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's just like it, it becomes easier to, you know, maybe maybe your shoulders are the shoulders that people need to stand on and you mm -hmm. can become that as you put this together. And that's a really noble thing. It's also a noble thing to remember that you're just practice, not just for yourself. So it's the people that you deal with. And also, I think, in the collective creative unconscious of something, we are creating new habits in, in the human experience that will make it easier for our children and our children's children and those who come after us to, to really start waking up much more quickly so they can deal with the complexity of the universe that we're, we've evolved, you know, through our, our evolution as creatures on this planet. So it's important stuff. And our, our next, our next recording, we're going to have the eminent uh, spiritual teacher, therapist, writer, luminary, Robert Augustus master, uh, to talk to us about, well, we'll see what we have no idea where it's going. Yeah, so I'm sure, yeah, it's going to be great. So, so stay tuned. And uh, he, he's been a, a, a real light uh, to me and in, in, in my work with myself mm. over the years. And we've had a couple of conversations before, but I can't wait to get here with the uh, you know, the three musketeers and, uh, <laughs> and see, how, see how that unfalls. So, yeah, so get uh, you know, you, you guys, uh, how, how do they get the, the free? Deep, um, deep Delta track. If you visit uh, integralrecoveryinstitute.com slash free, you can download the uh, Deep Delta track for free. And I am actually revamping that now to put together a uh, more comprehensive package that includes some other um, infographics of the Aqua map and, uh, and some other stuff. That's so wonderful. go check it out, integralrecoveryinstitute.com slash free. Thank you, Doug. That's wonderful. All right, guys. See you later. <laughs> God bless. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by iAwake Technologies. Visit IntegralRecoveryInstitute.com slash iAwake for the best meditation tracks to support your daily recovery practice. If you enjoyed today's episode, visit us on iTunes and hit subscribe for a new episode every Friday. While you're there, you can help others share the journey and the joy of integral recovery by leaving your five-star rating and a quick review. We're grateful for your support, and we'll see you next time on the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast.